Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fanless Podcast. After a short break in the tennis, after it came back at the beginning of the year, we're now treated with a host of tennis happening this week with two tournaments in Melbourne, both with very exciting lineups, and then the ATP Cup with an extremely exciting lineup for that. Uh, to talk about these events with me, uh, of course, is Marcus. Marcus, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Feels like a long time. I just asked to uh, rub a bit of the dust off of this microphone before I was setting it up. You know, that two weeks has felt like a long time, but it's good to see the tour back with a vengeance this week too. Exciting tournaments and, of course, ATP Cup. I'm looking forward to discussing it with you. Okay, but before we start, we'll just rattle through uh, a few of the news headlines, uh, some older than others. Uh, but we'll we'll start with the fact, uh, quite new news still. Um, Australian Open have announced there will be thirty thousand fans a day allowed at the event. Um, I think it's really positive news. It's interesting considering uh, all of the players have obviously had to go through this two-week quarantine, uh, whereas. Presumably the 30,000 fans that are coming each day will not have been quarantined or obviously I assume they'll be testing and everything. Um, but uh, I think overall a, a positive thing, we've had two Grand Slams now uh, behind closed doors. Well, We've had two Grand Slams now uh, with uh, not how we're used to. And I think 30,000 fans is a, a real step, step forward coming back to some sort of normality on tour. Uh, Marcus, just... What's your reaction to that? Um, I think we both know how important the fans are at the Australian Open. I'd say maybe at the Australian, more than any of the grandstands, you actually you get quite a good atmosphere going. There's lots of singing in the crowd. Uh, it's very different to something like Wimbledon. And I think um, to have some fans there will, will be a real lift for the players. Yeah, definitely. From a, a pure sort of viewership point of view it it definitely adds so much compared to watching it um even you know we've seen it come back a bit with football in limited numbers and seen it make a difference and 30,000 at the tennis is going to be awesome um the Australian fans here I completely agree like to make uh make there be a good atmosphere particularly with their home players obviously the likes of Nick Kyrgios coming back um and yeah I'm sure he'll be delighted that he'll be getting some some home backing um be interesting to see how that dynamic develops. Obviously, I assume they'll be distanced in the crowd or maybe not. I don't know what it's like over in Australia. Um, but yeah, probably quarantine rule is probably working for them um, if they can get into a position to have 30k fans per day at, at their tennis event. Then the uh, controversial two-week quarantine in a hotel has probably been probably been working pretty well for them. So yeah, it's very exciting. Um, yeah, it just fuels my enthusiasm for, for the tournament even more and it might uh, might make me want to get up a little bit earlier to take in some more tennis because um, obviously, yeah, a lot of it will be playing through the night our time. But no, yeah, it's really exciting and a relief to have some normality back at a Grand Slam. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I'll speak for both of us when I say that we just hope that it isn't too many fans uh, too early. Obviously, as Marcus said there, we're not 100% clued up on how the situation is in Australia. Obviously, talking about 30,000 fans at a sporting event here uh, in the UK would be a little bit out of the question. 
at the moment. Uh, but hopefully, you know, in Australia, that is uh, not going to be a problem and it can go smoothly, though there has been some issues with the quarantining in the last couple of weeks, a few players uh, complaining about the situations they were put in. Uh, and, and thinking that the rules were too tough. But, as Marcus says, hopefully that has worked really well. Um, the main big bit of tennis news, especially over here in the UK, um, a little little while old now, um, but we haven't recorded since then because of the lack of tennis. Uh, obviously, Andy Murray is not playing at the Australian Open. We said that this was a possibility when we last recorded. We found out uh, he was having to do a self-isolation um and logistically getting into Australia in time to do the quarantine would have been quite tricky. Um, and essentially for that reason, he has not, he has decided not to travel to Australia uh, because it not being possible with the whole quarantine thing. Uh, a, a real shame, I think. Uh, Murray, I think, would have been really looking forward to playing in Australia. And it's a tournament that he has a lot of, has had a lot of success at, though he hasn't won it. He's made the final on, on numerous occasions and uh, he, he could be considered one of his stronger Grand Slams. Uh, though he's won the US Open, I think consistency-wise, he possibly has got a better record at the Australians. So, um, yeah, I, I think a, a bit of a miss and a, um, a, a bit of a blow for the British crowd. Yeah, his, his, his strongest slam, it has to be for me. He's made the final five times, so... On, on that standpoint, it's really disappointing. Obviously, uh, he might have been banking on, well, prioritising this tournament to get some of those crucial points to get himself back up the rankings so that he can be playing in the top tournaments on merit um, sort of more regularly on the tour. Um, I've just had a look and seen that he's going to be playing some challenger tennis um, while it's going on. So that's pretty good um, news. At least he'll be keeping himself ticking over and get some... Because it doesn't matter how much training that you do, it's not going to replicate playing a match. You know, you might like Sebastian Corda is going to be playing challenger tennis during the Australian Open. So, if Murray can come up against an exciting player like that, then it'll be very good for his uh, development and um, his performance levels and whatever he's looking to to do moving forward in the year. As what I expected from Murray in the Australian Open, I don't think. We're going to miss out too much. Maybe I'm a little bit um, still worried about that performance against Stan Wawrinka in the French Open and how he just couldn't handle it physically against Felix Auger-Aliassime in the US Open. So I still think he's a way off coming back um, and, and maybe pushing into making, say, a third or fourth round at a Grand Slam. So I, I didn't expect that to happen at the Australian Open. So, um, you know, maybe hopefully it shouldn't affect him too much and he can just knuckle down and get some good preparation in and get in, get in better shape for when, for when he doesn't have to quarantine for two weeks. You know, he's got a young family, so I completely understand how, you know, that working around that was going to be tough anyway. Um, so, yeah, disappointed initially, but overall, if he can come back fitter um, and in, in better form because of this uh, elongated break, then I think it could turn out to be a blessing. Yeah, for sure. I hadn't actually seen that he was playing Challenger tournaments, so that could be really good for him. Like you say, I think with players like Caller playing at Challenger, I think during the uh, Australian Open, there could be some real strong Challenger lineups, to be honest, because there are quite a few players that have opted not to play uh, and go out to do the quarantine. And you could see, I, this is hindsight, obviously I haven't seen the draws for the Challengers yet, um, 
But I think there could be some really interesting challenger tournaments going on uh, during this week. So, um, yeah, hopefully uh, Murray can get some really good matches there and, and it will be a good indication of where he can be at. And I think someone like Andy Murray, is he's such a passionate tennis player that though you say it might have been a bit unrealistic for him to be looking at getting past a third round, let's say, at a grand slam, obviously, depending on the draw. I, I do think, though, it will frustrate Murray that he can't play as well as he uh, could have played. Murray, I think, is very much someone who will just be very grateful and fortunate that he can be back on court because, you know, we all remember 2019, it would be now, I think, is it two years ago when the, we had the press conference in Australia when uh, he was basically saying that he might have to retire after the tournament and he was crying and it was so evident to us all then that he was someone who just did not want to give tennis up. So I think just the fact that he can play, whether it's the Australian Open or whether it's a challenger tournament in, I don't know, Antalya or Istanbul, they're just ones that have been going on this week, so the names that pop into my head. Whichever one it is, I think Andy Murray will just be extremely grateful uh, and, and pleased to be out on court. Um, just going through a couple of other players who aren't playing the Australian Open, uh, another bit of a blow for the British fans, uh, Kyle Edmund uh, had to withdraw after a long-standing knee problem. Uh, so a bit of a worry for Kyle, I think, um, hasn't as much shown the form uh, that we would have hoped uh, over the last couple of years. He did actually win a title last year, which always kind of escapes my memory. That was before the um, the COVID suspension. He won a 250 tournament over in America. I think it was in New York. But um, other than that, you know, he, he's been a bit hit and miss at times and he's had a few injury problems. And this one does look like it could be a bit of a long problem. So when we're next going to see Kyle Edmund, I'm not sure. And just before I... Hand it over to you, Marcus. The other sort of big absentee, uh, Christian Garin, a uh, player had a brilliant 2020, uh, pandemic aside, winning quite a lot of titles on the clay court. Uh, got himself up to a very good ranking. I think he's top 20 now, I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, Marcus, but uh, he's um, got himself into a really good position. Though, however, you know, he having a wrist injury, he said he wasn't prepared to travel to Australia without his physiotherapist because I think the rules are that they can't travel with all of their teams. And because of his wrist issue, he, he didn't quite fancy uh, risking it without his physio. Uh, but it's not so much a tournament that I think we would expect Garin to be uh, producing much at. He's very much more of a clay court player. And I think if we'd seen Garin getting into the second week of the tournament, that would have been a bit of a surprise to everyone. So, um, you know, a shame for him not to play. Uh, a shame for the fans in Chile because obviously he's their their number one and by far their their best player. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we dub him as a as a clay court specialist every time we talk about Christian Garin. But yeah, he lost to Christian Harrison, of course, in in Delray Beach. So not a player expecting a huge amount from. And yeah, Kyle Edmund a bit disappointing. Obviously, we've seen in glimpses the potential that he has, but not really over an extended run in his career so far. Um, he's 26 years old now, so you'd be hoping that he can get it together really this year or the next year um, if we really are going to see him achieve his potential. Obviously, reaching that Grand Slam semi-final at the Australian Open in his yeah the, the biggest run of his career to date. So, um, disappointment for British fans as well, obviously, with Murray as well. But we can focus our attention on Dan Evans and uh, Cameron Norrie and uh, cheer those guys on. I'm sure they'll they'll do us proud. Yeah, and two really strong players, to be honest. Um, 
potentially would have had more hope for Evans and Norrie going deeper in the tournament than Edmund, just based on sort of form of last year. I think maybe I'd say perhaps they're all at a very similar level. You know, on their day, they can all be really, really good players, but sometimes it's just about getting that consistency. Although Dan Evans did have a fantastic 2020 last year, so um, I think we hopefully could still see some really good things from him this year. Uh, I think that was pretty much uh, all we were going to talk about. Oh, we were going to mention John Isner uh, decided uh, he will not be playing the Australian Open. Uh, That's due to the fact he just didn't really want to take part in the whole quarantine situation. wasn't for him. Uh, I believe I'm right in saying that he also has a family like Murray. So um, I suppose that could be a factor in it, you know, wanting to stay with uh, his family. If if I've got that wrong, then I I, I apologise. But um, yeah, I think uh, another bit of a miss uh, to the tournament, isn't there? But again, probably not someone that you would expect to see uh, going. Well, when I say that, he probably could have gone deep, you know, if he starts serving well. But um, yeah, I think if... In terms, I know Marcus is probably thinking right now when I'm talking that uh, if we're talking about in terms of playing style, I don't think Marcus or me, for that matter, will miss seeing the big serving John Isner at the Australian Open. So we will move on now uh, to the tournaments this week. Uh, two tournaments in Melbourne. Uh, it's a bit hard to keep track of which one's which for me. I'm going to keep forgetting over the week, but we'll start with the Murray River Open, which is probably the the stronger of the two tournaments in terms of lineup. Uh, the top four seeds are um, three-time Grand Slam winner Stan Mavrinka, uh, Grigor Dimitrov is second seed, Felix Auger Aliassime at third seed, and Borna Koric also there at fourth. Uh, and then some other really exciting players to look out for. We've got Dan Evans at that tournament. Um, We'll go for our predictions in a sec, but I've actually tipped Dan Evans to have a really good week at uh, this tournament. Uh, Ugo and Bear, it was a really exciting young French player at the end of last year, winning a title in... Marcus will correct me. In fact, I'll let Marcus say that if he remembers. It was an indoor event, uh, possibly Antwerp, might be wrong. Uh, and then, of course, the big one I think everyone's excited to see is the return of Nick Kyrgios, who interestingly said this week uh, in an interview that he did not miss tennis uh, in his long break. Uh, He sounded, you know, he was sort of playing it down, didn't really miss it at all, which is interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see where he's at uh, with that, whether he has been putting the hours in on court. We'll have to see. Um, He comes up against the world number 245 in the first round, Alexandre Muller, uh, 23-year-old of France. So probably quite a kind draw for Nick Kyrgios in the first round and the potential of setting up a really tasty second-round tie with compatriot either Bernard Tomic or Mark Pullmans. Tomic started the year on really good form. He's qualified for the Australian Open, uh, which I think for him it would be a really big step because he's probably not had a a great time of it in the last couple of years. So to qualify for his home grand slam would be very good for him. Um, so yeah, Marcus, who are you um, excited about seeing this week? Um, and thoughts on Nick Kyrgios not missing tennis? 
I mean, it doesn't surprise me. He seems like a guy that's perfectly happy occupying himself, pottering about, still smashing it on so- social media. Um, so, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. But hopefully um, he does realise that he did miss it when he actually gets out there and starts playing um, in, in this week coming. I think it's a tricky. He's got a tricky route in in this tournament. I I don't expect him to go deep. Um, I expect him to get past Miller in the first round, obviously, um, and then the Polman's Atomic match would be very tough. I think I have him to face Polman's in the second round, and I have him to win that match. But I think that would be a tough one. Um, Polman's developed quite nicely towards the back end of last year. Still a young player. Then we beat Ugo and Bear at the French Open, which came as quite a big shock. Um, so yeah, that could be an interesting match. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Kyrgios. Hopefully, his attitude is is a, a motivated one and, and one that will see him, you know, give everything to win the tournaments and entertain um, as he as he always likes to do. In terms of other players that I'm excited about in that tournament, obviously Dan Evans, as you mentioned, and the other main one being Felix Auger-Aliassime, just to learn a bit and see what shape he's in coming into this year, which could be a big one for him. I think he's not playing ATP Cup, obviously, because I think Denis Shapovalov and Milos Raonic will be representing Canada in that tournament. Um, so you'll hope that he'll be taking the Murray River Open very seriously as a chance to get some early ranking points in this season. Um, I'll just run through my four quarterfinal ties, as you know. Um, we like to get to that just to give a little prediction of of, of how we see it panning out. Um, starting at the top of the draw, I have Stan Vavrenka to progress to the quarterfinal, where I have him to face the American Taylor Fritz. Um, he comes through a little portion of the draw that involves Marin Cilic, but I have Cilic to go out quite early. Um, and then Fritz, yeah, to make his way to that quarterfinal to face Vavrenka. Then the second one, I've got Borna Choric. Do I have to knock out Nick Kyrgios, um, as I'm expecting him, to narrowly pass Mark Pullman's in that second round against Dan Evans, which I think could be a very interesting match if it does materialise. Uh, the third one, I've got Lorenzo Sonigo versus Felix Orze Aliasim. Obviously, the Italian Sonigo getting that amazing straight sets win over, over Djokovic towards the back end of last year. So it'll be interesting to see if he can really kick on from that this season. And then I have... Little spoiler, my champion for the tournament, Ugo and Bear in that bottom quarterfinal to face Tommy Paul, who I have to beat uh, second seed Grigor Dimitrov. Um, and yeah, just to complete that, I've got Ugo and Bear to beat Dan Evans in another excruciatingly close attempt at winning a title for, for the Brit. Ugo and Bear to beat Evans in the final. There are my four quarterfinals. Um, how's yours shaping up? Well, very, very, very nearly. Uh, we had the exact quarterfinals until your last one. Uh, I have the exact same quarterfinals uh, that you said, so I won't worry about rattling through them again. But I actually have Dimitrov uh, to make the quarterfinal instead of Tommy Paul. I've actually put Tommy Paul to go out to Alexei Popyrin uh, in the second round. A uh, bit of a punt on the young Australian player. Uh, and, and likewise, uh, I have Ugo and Bear to go on and win the tournament, but I've not got him to play Dan Evans in the final. I was about to say Dan Ravrinka then. Uh, I've got Evans to get to the semi, but I have gone with Ravrinka to get to the final. Bit risky. I think it's always really hard to know with Ravrinka where he's at, but I do look at Dan Evans's draw and I find it quite tough. I think 
uh, a potential third round tie with Adrian Manorino. We've had a lot of discussion about Manorino on this podcast, probably a bit more than we should. Um, and I feel like that's a player that Evans could struggle against. I feel like in recent times, I've got a memory of Manorino beating Evans. Um, I do think he's the sort of player that Evans stylistically potentially a bit of a hard one to match up for. He's very, very stubborn Manorino and um, will make Evans play a lot of shots. And I think Evans will have to be very patient to beat him. And I have got Evans to beat him, but I think that was generally my thinking when I didn't put him to get to the final as I see perhaps a bit more threat to him than I see to Stan Wawrinka. Obviously, that quarterfinal against Taylor Fritz could be a really tough one, but I don't really see Ravrinka going out early. He's got a second round. He got a bye, obviously, first round. Second round tie against either Londero or Kukuskin. Potential third round against Richard Gasquet. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think I, I felt a bit safer going for Ravrinka in the final. But yeah, I also have gone for the French uh, Hugo Mbert. He um, really, really impressed me by the end of the year. I think, I can't remember what exactly what I said, but when I think we were rattling through yeah, our DMs. He, he, won, he won two titles last year. You were right with Antwerp. Antwerp. Um, but he also won in Auckland in January of last year. So yes. he likes this swing. So Yeah, I'm yeah and showing, about... showing form before the pandemic and after the pandemic, I think is really, really um, key for a young player, especially because I think of oh, that whole lockdown period, it would have been really easy for uh, a young player's form to get out the window. And, and he's someone who really kept it up. And I think I said in our DMs, I think I said bear to get in maybe like the top 15 by the end of the year which if he plays if he plays like he did at the end of last year he could even be pushing top 10 but that might be a little bit of a stretch but uh yeah i'm i'm looking forward to seeing him this week uh right we'll quickly rattle on to the next tournament the great ocean road tournament uh perhaps a slightly inferior lineup uh here but still some very good players uh david goffan the uh the well-seasoned uh, man that he is will lead the field at the number one seed. Uh, Karen Hatchinoff also playing uh, the current, the well, the recent Delray Beach champion, Hubert Herkask uh, is the third seed. And the very exciting teenager, Yannick Sinner, uh, is the number four seed. Yannick Sinner has been recently in the last week playing some exhibition matches uh, that were started up after the quarantine had finished. Uh, he came up against Djokovic and Filip Karadzinovic. Lost both those matches, but I think with it being an exhibition, I'm not too worried uh, about that. I'm very excited about Sinner this year, and um, I have put him to have a good week. So let me start with my quarterfinals. Uh, so, no, I've gone on the wrong one. Sorry, it's tennis draw challenge. Just got to get it up. Remember, okay, so my four quarterfinals are uh, I've actually got uh, Vasek Pospisil uh, in the first quarterfinal. I've got him to beat David Goffan, the number one seed in the second round. Uh, and then I've got him to come up against Yannick Hampfman. So potentially uh, a, a bit of a, a bit of a, an unpopular, uh, not unpopular, a bit of a risky uh, choice for the quarterfinal. But I've, I think we could see some. Lesser names in that, in terms of ranking. The next quarterfinal, I've got Hubert Herkash to face Alexander Bublik. 
Uh, both players who had good weeks the other week. I think they both played in Delray Beach. Uh, obviously, Hercash going on to win that. Um, then, second quarter final, I've got uh, Miamir Kekmanovic against the young and exciting Yannick Sinner. Uh, both young and exciting players, actually. Could be a real good glimpse into the next-gen future. And then, uh, the final quarter final, I've got Riley Opelka, the giant big server. Uh, I've got him to actually beat the second seed, Karen Hatchinoff, in the quarterfinal. Uh, I'll hand, actually, I'll, I'll just go on quickly to what I've got for Marcus. I've got Sinner to win the tournament, and I've got him to beat Hubert Herkash in the final. This is an interesting one. Some differing opinions on, on this tournament a lot more than the other one. Um, I've got one exactly the same quarterfinal as you. That's the second one, which is Uber Herkash against Alexander Bublik. Bublik, of course, getting to the final in Antalya and, and uh, retiring early against Alex Dimonor. So another player that's had a good start to 2021. Um, my top uh, quarterfinal, I've also gone for Vasek Pospisil and I've got him to beat David Goffin, as you do. But I've got him to face Pierre Uguez Ebert, um, the French player. Nearly was unlucky. I think he, well, not maybe not unlucky. He uh, passed up five match points on his own serve to knock David Goffin out of Antalya. Um, so clearly pushed pushed a, a top player on his day. And yeah, the the field wasn't too great going down that down that side of the draw. Then the third quarter final, I've got Tennis Sangren to beat Miamir Kecmanovic. So I've got Sangren to meet Yannick Sinner in that third quarter final. Very excited to see what kind of form Sinner starts the year in. And then that bottom quarter final, I have a beautiful tennis match. One that is going to see plenty of rallies. <laughs> if you like big serving and this quarter final happens, then it's your dream come true. I've got Riley Opelka, as you do, versus Kevin Anderson of South Africa, the, the double Grand Slam finalist. Um, this is because I have... This is probably the biggest shock of uh, both of our draws. I have Norbert Gombos to beat Karen Hatchinov, Karen Hatchinov in the second round of the Great Ocean Road Open. We've discussed Hatchinov at length, I think, in our last episode that we think, yeah, he's, he's flattering to deceive a little bit. And I think Gombos will pose a threat if he does get through his first round match. And, um, yeah, I can see players like Hatchinov not maybe putting their all into a deciding set with the Australian Open just around the corner. So for that reason, I've gone for Gombos to beat him and then Anderson to make his way to the quarterfinal. I feel like I've gone for a bit of a shock in who's going to win the tournament. It's not ma- not major, it's not that controversial, but I feel like going against Yannick Sinner can be, ca- can be classed as a bit of a um, bold claim already in in his career um i have the same final as you apart from i have uber Herkash to get the win he had quite an, a nice run especially to the final in delray beach but he still um still was impressive i don't think he dropped a set in the whole tournament um so yeah i think sinner because this is his first tournament back of the year I, i'm just i just think there's a little bit of a cloud over how well he's going to play um I, th- I also think I also base this off a little bit, seeing Sinner play Riley Opelka in the semi-final. If that does happen, I think that could be quite a tough match for him. Um, so maybe even if he does make the final, Herkash might have a little bit more in the tank. Who knows? Hypothetical questions, but 
there's my reasoning why I'm going for Uber Herkash to win the Great Ocean Road Open. Yeah, very interesting. I think actually I was similar with Herkash. I was a little bit put off by the fact he would have a quarterfinal, probably have a quarterfinal against Alexander Bublik, a player who is a bit hit and miss, but on his day is is very, very entertaining to watch. If you've never watched Bublik play, I would definitely recommend it. He um bit of an unorthodox style. He's a bit quite fun on court. Um, will quite often hit shots that you wouldn't really expect to see. Um, but he, yeah, very, very technical, very technical and good player. Um, so yeah, I think that's why I, I think. Though I don't like to predict with my heart, um, no head or heart. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I, I have sort of just put Sinner to win more out of hope that he will turn up and play really good. His first couple of matches are matches that he should not be losing. He's got a second, well, his first match will be against either uh, Alexander Vukic, an Australian player that I could tell you nearly nothing about, uh, and Yen Henson Lu, a Chinese Taipei, Taipei player who I could tell you a bit about. He's been around forever uh, using a protective ranking to get into this tournament, but um, definitely not a player that I'd be expecting to beat Yannick Sinner and then a probable uh, second match for Sinner against either Alias Bedene or uh, possibly Ilya Ovashka. So, yeah, I think we should definitely be seeing Sinner in the quarterfinal. Uh, if we don't, it'll be a massive disappointment. But, um, yeah. Yeah, OK. Uh, we'll just move on to the ATP Cup. We'll spend a little bit less time on this just because... Uh, in terms of predictions, it's a bit harder to predict because it's all divided up into into different groups of uh, teams. There are twelve countries playing. If you're not aware of the format, it's a group tournament. Um, sorry, a team tournament. So um, two countries will come up against each other. Say it's Serbia and Spain, which was last year's final. Uh, their number one players will play against each other. So Djokovic played Nadal and beat Nadal. The number twos will then play each other. Uh, or probably before, actually, uh, Dusan Lajevic played Batista Agut, uh, which Batista Agut won, so that was one all. And then there is a doubles match uh, at one all to decide uh, who wins it. And Serbia were the reigning champions, or are the reigning champions, I should say, after winning that doubles match uh, and taking it for the, the first time they've done it. It's a fun and exciting tournament. It's not one I actually watched too much of last year, and I think I definitely will invest a bit of time into it uh, this year, if uh, I decide that it's more interesting than writing my uni dissertation, uh, which is likely, I will decide that. Um, nine of the world's top 10 players are playing. All of the top 10 playing, apart from Roger Federer, who, of course, uh, is, is injured. And actually, Switzerland are not in the tournament, but that is because of Federer's injury. I believe the way it works is that the top 10 players, all of their countries get in. Uh, and then regardless of where the second player is ranked, so Greece are playing this week, with Tsitsipas uh, ranked in the top 10. But then the, their second player, I can't even remember how you pronounce his name, he's ranked way outside the top 200. So a, a real good chance for him to, um, to uh, impress, maybe. Uh, the countries just quickly... Uh, Serbia, Spain, Austria, Russia, Greece, Germany, Argentina, Italy, Japan, France, Canada, and Australia. Um, yeah, some some really exciting matchups. I think Marcus was saying pre-pod, he thinks it could be treated a little bit like an ex- exhibition by the players. I 
can see where he's coming from. It is definitely a different format. However, I do think that this is the best chance players like Djokovic, Nadal, Team, Medvedev uh, are going to get before the Australian Open. It's the only chance they've got before the Australian Open to come out of this quarantine period now and, and get some really good match time ahead of them. So I actually think you know, they'd be fools for really, really not using it as proper match time. And I think we could see some really competitive matches here and be a really good indicator of, of where the players are at. Yeah, it's quite a nice curtain-raiser tournament. Um, some people might differ in opinions to us, but yeah, I, I do see the Great Ocean Road Open, the Murray River Open as more sort of traditional and more competitive tournaments. Um but yeah, no, it's still going to be a great spectacle. Obviously, Japan, you've got Kai Nishikori getting his chance to sort of show that he's still got it. Um, potentially a big year for him um, if the Olympics does go ahead and he'll be the sort of home favourite in, in, in Tokyo for tennis, uh, for the tennis event. So it'll be good to see him back, hopefully. Um, he can, hopefully, he's, he's sharp. And um, yeah, I'm sure there'll definitely be some really entertaining matches. I think it's Pervalakis, the um, Greek second player. I'm not 100% on that. But um, yeah, obviously a great opportunity for, for him. Um, I'm a bit disappointed that they've kept the ranking points in in this tournament because I feel like it's a bit harsh. I mean, there are 250 tournaments going on at the same time. But like, say, Pervalakis wins one game against a player who is maybe tanking a little bit. He could rise up the rankings loads over people that haven't had the same opportunity. Um, but putting that to the back of my mind, I'm just going to treat it on an entertainment basis and it should be very good. As you said, we'll get to see the likes of Daniil Medvedev and uh, Andre Rublev for the first time this year. And um, yeah, it'll be a great spectacle. I assume there'll be fans fans in the, in the crowd for this. Um, there will be the, the main ATP spotlight will be on this. I, I feel that the, the uh, other 250s down the road will be the sort of second rate going on in the background tournaments. Um, but I'm sure we'll be, we'll be covering them possibly, probably more than the ATP Cup. But yeah, treating it maybe a little bit more than an exhibition. But in terms of if I see Djokovic lose, if I see Medvedev lose, I, I'm not going to think, oh no, they're going to be, they're going to struggle in the Australian Open. It is very much a curtain raiser, um, you know, something to get the, get the hype train going uh, for, for the season ahead. So. Should be, it should be an exciting event. Yeah, I agree. Um, just interestingly, when, when I, you said Japan about Nishikori there, I did realise that that wouldn't quite work with how I explained uh, how it's done. But I see Nishikori's managed to use a protected ranking uh, for this event, which is why Japan have got in. Potentially a little bit harsh on uh, the next country that would have got in, maybe. but um, And then Australia get in it because it's an Australia event and they, they get a wild card in. So, um, yeah, it literally just works down the rankings. Um, down to Canada, which led by Denis Shapovalov, who is 12th in the world um, in Australia, given the wild card. Interesting point you raise about um, the ranking points. I see what you mean, actually. Um I was interesting to hear uh, the other day, just looking at another sport, uh, when snooker, they play the Masters, uh, which is the only invitational tournament in terms of it's done like this based on ranking if you get in it. So I guess like the ATP finals, and they do not allow ranking points in that tournament because it almost 
creates more of a gap between the top players and the, the, the lesser players because they're getting uh, more points. And, and I can see the argument for, for why you would do that in tennis. Um, the ATP finals, you don't really get too many points. I'm not too worried about that. Um, and now it's a blimmin' tough tournament to win. Uh, so I think probably deserve it to get some points. I, I don't know how the points work in the um, the ATP uh, Cup. But um, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. I think it's a, a good talking point because you will get, you know, Pevralakis is ranked 458. Their number three player, Marcos Kalovanolis, uh, I've got no idea where he's ranked. Uh, he's ranked 909th. So yeah, if he gets a game and gets a win, uh, I mean, maybe pushing luck a little bit to think that he can beat any of these guys. But, uh, you know, hey-ho, we'll see. Uh, so that's pretty much what we were going to say on the ATP Cup. Uh, could be a really good tournament and will be an early chance for us to get to see the likes of Djokovic against Nadal or you know Nadal against Team Medvedev. And obviously with the ATP Tour Finals last year where we saw a Team Medvedev final both beating Djokovic and Nadal on the same day, two breathtaking matches. Uh, maybe it could just be a really good way to see where Team and Medvedev is still at, you know, and, and maybe this could be the year where we see the, the thorough sort of uh, the changing of the guard, if you like, with those two coming in, which it certainly did look like at the finals, but we have seen it before with Zverev and Sitsipas, so um, we don't want to get too excited. Um, okay, so that is just about that. Uh, Marcus, I believe, has done a guest the player for me. So uh, we will move it on to that. I think from last from memory, my last guest to play was someone like Albert Ramos and it was basically put on a plate for me and I didn't get it. So uh, hopefully I'm a bit better this time, but we have gone through a lot of the top players now, so they are going to be getting a bit harder. Yeah, the pressure maybe cranked up a little bit for this one. Um, so, yeah, to kick off, guess the player. The first clue about this gentleman is that he's won one career title and it was at Umag in 2019. Okay. Um, one career title. I think that would be a bit late for Nicholas Mahu to win a career title in 2019. Um, Umag is clay, I believe. Uh, we'll go for Jeremy Shardy. I like it. It's not Jeremy Shardy. Uh, maybe this will narrow it down. Maybe it not. It's quite vague clue. This man is 30 years old. Okay. Uh, so been around a little while, but only won one title, which was 2019, so two years ago. So perhaps, so it would have been 28, so maybe a little bit of a later developer. Um, oh, actually, is it Laszlo Gier? It's a great shout. No. It's not Laszlo Gier. He won, he won a title. I think it was on clay, and it was in 2019. I yeah, can't... it was in South America. I think it was Rio, maybe. Um, yeah, okay. Damn, yeah. I thought I actually thought I got it there. No, he's, a, he's a lot younger than 30, I think. Uh, true, actually, um, true. Third clue, this guy's got to the quarterfinal at the French Open in 2019, but other than that, has never got, well, he might have done, 
He's never got past the second round at any other slam. Wow, okay. Someone who's had a very good run at a Grand Slam. 2019 French Open, so obviously Nadal would have won it. Um, Nadal always seems to get the the easiest quarterfinal in the French Open every year, so I'm going to assume this guy may have lost to Nadal. Um, let's go for... I think his first name is Roberto. Roberto Cobales Buena. Um, I do not think he's got to the last day of a slam. Um, I don't know. He's really a really dominant player, but he does have a career title, actually, as well. One career title. Yeah, he's got that right. yeah I don't think that was a bad guess. No, it's not. It's not Carbiers. But so people like... Um, um, who was it? Uh, like Cope, Dominic, Dominic Cope first made the Grand Slam quarterfinal, hasn't he? Like or fourth, fourth round. round. Like players always go on weird runs. Anyway, moving swiftly on, the fourth clue <laughs> that unlike Roberto Carbiez Bainer, this man is a Masters One Thousand finalist. Wow! But he's never been past the second round of a Grand Slam apart from one. Okay. I mean, there's Filip Krajinovic. Uh, has been a... But I think we've done Krajinovic. No. He's definitely been in a Masters final. Is he a bit older than 30? Yeah, Filip Krajinovic. It's not Filip Krajinovic. Oh, um, I know, I like your thinking. Um, the final clue is that this player is Serbian. Oh, okay. So it's Dusan Lajovic. Correct. Yeah, yeah that okay. clicked into gear quite easily. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I do remember him. I'm surprised he's never been past the second round of a slam, other than that one quarter final. Well, That's... he might have. He might have got better than the second round of the French before, but just not made the quarters. Oh, okay. Outside yeah. the French, he hasn't. Yeah, that Masters final, he, he lost to Fabio Fonini at Monte Carlo in 2019. Yeah, um, yeah. And that was the same year of his title, same year of his French Open. So 2019, the best year of his career by a country mile. But it's interesting, though, because I wouldn't actually say he's a clay court. Like, like he's obviously a clay court, very good on a clay court. But I'd say he's still quite a bit of an all-rounder. I think he's, he's quite good on, on all, across all surfaces, I think, like Vig, but maybe not. if. He's never been past second round of the other slams. Um, uh, interesting one. Uh, and I don't know if I would have got that before the Serbian clue because it, I always forget that Fabio Fanini won a Masters like two years ago. That feels very random. I'm not really sure if that happened. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I don't have much to say on Dusan Lajevic apart from that he will be trying to defend his ATP Cup title this year, which I don't know how many matches he won for it, but um, you would expect Djokovic to potentially be the the more driving force in that team. Yeah, definitely. Change your outlook of Lajevic a little bit. I definitely had him pigeonholed as 70-75% points on clay and the rest. He'll take what he can get. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, he's your guest of player this, in this episode. Okay, well, that is about it for today. We will be back probably later in the week uh, to discuss the action from the great Murray 
River Open. Check that. The Murray River Open and the Great Ocean Road tournaments. Uh, so that will be exciting. And we will give uh, an update with the ATP Cup. Uh, being a bit of a shorter tournament, I think it only goes on over about five days, so we might even be at the very latter stages of that by the next time we record. Uh, until then, uh, thank you very much for joining me, Marcus. Thanks as always. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah, we'll be back maybe sort of Thursday, Friday. Yeah, uh, we'll see you soon and stay safe. <laughs>